Hello, you're listening to a Time Out with Denton's podcast. I'm David Carter, and I'll be speaking with my colleague, Fintan O'Connor. Fintan and I are both members of the Denton's financial services team, both of whom do a lot of work in the equipment finance and auto finance area. Today, we'll be talking about identifying situations where motor dealerships and other types of auto financiers may find themselves in distress. This is particularly topical at the moment. We've had uh, the recent announcement by the Treasury regarding the economy hitting a recession. So as the COVID-19 situations in the economy pass through, dealerships might find themselves either currently in trouble or trying to trade out of trouble in the future. So we'll take you through some of the tips and traps that we've learned and also things we can do to identify what to do when those things occur. Fintan, if I can ask you, is there any sort of background at the moment to how dealerships are currently in distress or might find themselves in distress? Thank you, David. Yeah, look, there are, um, even prior to COVID-19, under a fair degree of stress due to some regulatory changes that had come through. New car sales had been on the decline um, in Australia over the past year. And, and then along comes the pandemic, which essentially strips out the foot traffic on the dealership floor. So um, look, some of the regulatory changes that affected dealers prior to this year was the changing in the Flex Commission around how dealers can finance cars and, and the interest that, that can be charged on that financing. So that impacted the revenues. Obviously, new car sales has an impact on revenues. And COVID-19 has just uh, compounded all of this problem. So there was really a, a revenue squeeze on dealerships coming into this year and COVID-19 just to squeeze them. That said, I mean, there have been some areas that have seen some uptick in activity. Agricultural equipment purchases have shown some real strength over the last few months, particularly with the rains and the really um, conducive weather for um, agricultural production in Australia over the last few months. You know, that has helped in some respects, but overall, the, the dealers are, are really facing a, a difficult time at the moment. Is that how you've seen it yourself, David? Is, is that what you've, you've sort of um, seen in the in the in the marketplace? Yeah, fairly, fairly much, Fintan. So the dealerships are trading strong in some areas and very quiet in others. I do some stuff with caravan uh, financiers. That's a market which has struggled a bit recently with um, obviously restrictions th- through travel, lots of uh, cross uh, state borders or even regional travel. And that sort of had been a flowing effect even throughout summer with um, obviously the bushfire before that has curtailed a lot of the uh, regional travel which people would normally have done in, in caravans. Motorbike sales have been quite stagnant for a while. So again, it's a, an area which there's always a bit of a market for, but uh, probably not seeing as much growth as, as they'd be familiar with all, uh, otherwise. Um, a lot of the dealerships are, are well managed and have come through previous difficulties quite well. But this recent uh, economic situation is something which we haven't seen before. And, and I suppose whilst the insolvency scenarios haven't quite hit the market at the moment, a lot of that's due to the fact that there are incentive schemes and financiers are providing incentives by either way of payment deferrals, payment waivers, stretching out some uh, interest-free periods on bailment and floor plan finance. But those things will need to come to an end and finances will need to get paid and dealerships need to start making sales. So whilst we can see that insolvency activity is fairly quiet at the moment, I think that in some respects that can't last forever. So if things do become a bit dire in that regard, is there things that on the financier front or even on the dealership front 
that businesses need to be aware of in, in say, in respect of an administration or a liquidation or a receivership uh, of a particular dealer. That's a good comment, um, David. I, uh, I mean, it really um, has been very quiet on the, um, the insolvency front. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, as you mentioned, the banks providing holidays. And, and it's something that dealers need to you know, if they are under any stress or something, they should be approaching their financier and, and, and getting into some consultation with them because it's not always that people are aware that financiers will actually, you know, listen to what's going on and give due consideration to the situation that they're in and often can work with the dealer to come to a resolution. The other thing that's occurred is that there has been a, a stay or a moratorium effectively on insolvent trading which is saying not just in dealerships, but industry-wide, that essentially formal appointments like administration liquidation have really dropped off and banked and lenders are not appointing receivers very often at the moment. So what those tend to look like, administration is an appointment that is done primarily by directors where the directors realise that the company is insolvent. That is essentially that it can't pay its debts when due and payable and elects to appoint a uh, what is called a voluntary administrator. And the voluntary administrator takes over control of the business and then undertakes a analysis of what is the best thing for this business. And, and there's three outcomes from a, an administration. They either uh, return to life, essentially become a registered company again, that doesn't occur very often, but it does occur. Um, and the other two options are it goes into liquidation, which means it's wound down and, and the business is sold off and closed. Or you go into a docker, which is a deed of company arrangement. And the docker is essentially a compromise between the unsecured creditors and the company, where the unsecured creditors will often accept a lower amount in return for their debt. So say 10 cents in the dollar or something like that, or 20 cents in the dollar. And it will give the, the company time to pay out those creditors, the extent of the docker, and then it comes back into life as a registered company. The outcomes that you see mostly with VAs are either liquidations or dockers. And there's strict timeframes around VAs because the VA provides a moratorium on the ability for secured creditors to enforce. So secured creditors aren't, um, or creditors generally are not, not able to enforce during the period of the docker. There are some exceptions where secured creditors might point during the, the course of the first 13 business days of um, the appointment of a VA, but generally speaking, they are restricted from what they can do. But the overall process for a voluntary administration takes about 25 business days and there's two meetings. And at the second meeting, a decision is made about going into a docker liquidation or returning it to life. They can be extended. They can go for much longer, but they, they'd need court approval to do that. The other one, liquidation, will often occur by a creditor issuing a statutory demand on the company and the failure to pay that statutory demand within the 21 days is right to a presumption of insolvency, which allows that creditor to go apply to court to have a liquidator appointed. And the liquidator is essentially in there to just sell off the, the assets of the business for the purposes of meeting the debts owing by the business at that time. The outcomes for liquidations are very poor for creditors. It's often cents in the dollar. And that feeds back to the Docker proposal. There's often a bit more meat on the bone for the creditors in relation to Docker. So, you know, if you can get the, the support of the creditors to get that through, um, that is often a, um, an acceptable outcome in a sense. Uh, receiverships are where um, a secured creditor will appoint a receiver over the assets of the company. 
Um, how that might look for, for a dealership is that a receiver will be pointed into the business and the receiver will essentially manage to sell down of the secured assets, either they be real property or or the stock on floor or, or, or the like. So that is essentially the receiver will take instructions from the secured creditor and they will essentially act in the interests of the secured creditor, but be acting as agents of the company. I don't want to get bogged down in that because that distinction um, is a bit of a minefield. But the, uh, the the principle of a receivership is it's a secured creditor or points, say a bank or, a, or another financier of that nature. And um, and they, they are in there essentially to sell down the assets for the uh, meeting the debt of that secured creditor. Yeah, I I mean, that's the, 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 the three principal sort of solvency arrangements. The secured creditors will generally either appoint a receiver or a voluntary administrator or both to deal with the um, company where, when it's in distress. But the other options that secured creditors have, while there's not a lot really, the appointment of the receiver is probably the primary um, enforcement step that they would take in relation to a dealership, you know, because of the assets that are on the on the block. So that's sort of where that is. I mean, one of the big considerations for secured creditors is the PPS. Um, which is a Personal Property Securities Act, which has come into force. It's been in force in Australia for some time now, since early 2012. But many a creditor has fallen foul of this act um, and not having their registration correctly noted on the register. And one of the impacts of that is if a liquidator administrator is appointed over the company, that if those uh, registrations aren't correct, that means that that security interest can vest. So there's been certainly um, in, in the hiring industry and financiers that lend into the hiring industry have been impacted by that. Is is that what you've seen as well, David? How have you seen the PPS work in relation to dealerships and you know people in the hiring industry? Thanks, Finn. Finn. So what I've, what I've noticed is, and the, the PPS has been... Um, since the last probably big hit to the economy was the GFC, which was back in 2009, 2010, and that was the pre-PPSA scenario. So what we've got at the moment is if financiers protect themselves properly, they'll have lodged what's called PIMTI registration, so purchase money security interests over the dealerships to whom they provide the floor plan finance. And what that enables them to do is to get uh, first priority or super priority to their bailed goods or financed goods and any proceeds of those goods and recover that in priority to any other secured creditor. And it also takes them out of um, having to deal with the pool of unsecured creditors. What the the recent uh, COVID shocks the economy have seen, at least from a couple of clients, is it's a good time to do a PPS audit of the organisation's registrations on the PPS register. The reason behind that is oftentimes it's good to do a bit of a health check on that registration process anyway, to make sure that organisations are doing simple things like registering using the correct identifier. For example, if it's a company registering by ACN rather than ABN, uh, depending on the asset type and the value of that asset, whether they use serial numbered registrations by way of the VIN for a motor vehicle, for example, or the HIN for a watercraft. The other thing too is PBS has just gone through its sort of first iteration. It's just gone past seven years now. And a lot of the early registrations 
which was done for seven years may have expired and organisations who haven't kept their register up to date may have found that those registrations have actually lapsed and that means they've fallen off the register because the PPS registry doesn't provide any sort of update or notification that something's about to come to an end. So the onus is on, is on the financier or the secured party to check their own registrations. So what we've been doing for the, with a couple of clients is they've been obtaining a, a spreadsheet of their registrations or what they think of their registrations based upon their own records. And we do a bit of a cross-reference for them and check that they've got, firstly, they've got the registrations they think they have, and also that those registrations give them the priority which they think they have. So obviously in an ideal situation, the financier wants to see their audit show is that they've got their PIMSI, that is their first ranking security, giving them first recourse to their goods in priority to any other creditor and also in priority to any insolvency uh, situation as well. And it's best to do that whilst things are a bit quiet. You don't want that surprise factor of the first notification you've got of a potential problem coming from a letter from a liquidator or an administrator or one of their representatives saying, we've reviewed PPS search for this particular company and found that either your registrations don't appear there or they don't appear to have the registration that perfection that you think they do or they were lodged out of time. So this sort of health check gives finances a chance to correct things which may not have been done properly and get ahead of the game as far as looking at where their registrations are perhaps lacking or otherwise, or hopefully saying that everything's looking strong. So that's one of the protective measures that, um, and one of the primary things that we've been recommending and some clients have taken up. So many other things as far as remedial steps or just steps to take in, again, whilst these situations are, are playing out, is making sure that your stock check process is current and up to date, that stock checks are being taken out, any stock which is sold out of trust is identified, which means sold and not re, uh, repaid to the financier, that organisations are providing financials to their banks and and, and uh other funders, particularly if, if there's a request for a payment deferral or a payment waiver. With a lot of these situations, the payment waiver or deferral is only in place for a number of months. It seems the common period at the moment is about six months uh, from the time of request, which also sort of coincides with timing around things like the SME uh, guarantee scheme, which the government's backing. But the thing about that is, in most scenarios, the waiver or deferral is just a deferral of the debt to a later date. And sometimes those deferrals do accrue interest, which is capitalised. So sometimes there's a higher amount which is payable at the end of that deferral period. So what financiers and, and their funders need to know is what's, what's the plan in place? What's the cash flow analysis? How does the business look like it's going to be able to pay any accrued liabilities and increased liabilities at the end of any expiry period? So again, part of that's just sort of good dealing with your with your dealership base, making sure you're, you're keeping in tune with what they're facing, but also it's a bit of a protective device as well to make sure that uh, you can sort of get ahead of things that for dealerships which may suffer from some cash flow issues or may not be in a position to make any more substantial payments when any deferral comes to an end. So, Finn and Justin, I, I touched on one of the schemes, which was the SME guarantee scheme, which was available. Are you familiar with some of the other schemes that would be relevant to dealerships as far as either you know, deferrals or payment waivers, particularly in, the, in respect of their, their major overheads, such as rent on their dealership floor space and or um, other types of things? Thanks, David. Um, yeah, look, the... Um... The JobKeeper, uh, there's a couple of schemes that the government has put in place. The, probably the most well-known one is JobKeeper. That essentially operates as a means by which businesses can seek a reimbursement to a sense 
of the employee's wages for a period of time. There's, there's certain criteria that you need to cover, but you need to give some consideration to whether you want to do that because there is a cash flow implication of that. You need to pay the wages to begin with before you can get the money from the government. So it opt to the, operates as a rebate in a sense. So there's that scheme that's available. The other big one is in relation to commercial leases. So long as you meet a certain criteria for um, a downturn in your business revenue, similar to JobKeeper, then and that's pegged at, I think it's 30%. Is that right, David? The, the downturn, I think it's a 30% revenue reduction. So it entitles you to go to the landlord to yeah. seek some sort of rent relief um, or, or waiver or deferral. You negotiate that with the landlord. But essentially, that just puts off your obligations. Once that finishes towards the end of September, then you will need to pay whatever rent was deferred or waived during that period to the landlord within a reasonable time frame. So it just means that during the period of the COVID-19 that the landlord can't kick you out for failure to pay rent. But if you fail to um, meet other covenants or obligations in the lease, apart from foot traffic, but it's more to do with malls, then the landlord can't exercise their rights as against you. But you need to first fit into that 30% reduction in revenue to, to fit into that scheme. But it, it's got um, a number of principles, but it certainly should be something that's looked at by any dealer who's leasing um, land in which their dealership sits. Yeah, I mean, they're the two two main ones. There's also um, a couple others. There's the SME guarantee. That's right, David, isn't it? And there's a, another one in relation to asset depreciation as well. Is is, is that correct, David? Yeah, I think it's right. Yeah, the asset depreciation write-off, which gives, which comes to an end at the end of, of June, which if, if businesses do have a bit of cash flow available to them, they can take advantage of that instant asset write-off. So I think that sort of wraps up the, the things we wanted to cover off today. Uh, so yes, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you've found this useful and the idea behind it is to take some messages out of it so that either a bit of pre-planning either from a um, review of your dealership base and or your relationship with your customers to make sure that you're doing all the things you can at the present time and a bit of the sort of future proofing for any shocks that hit down the track. So thanks for your time and uh, we look forward to speaking with you again. And that's uh, Time Out with Dentons.